At William & Mary, we believe today's business education needs to be more than just innovative. It requires a legacy of success, a focus on teaching, an emphasis on technology, and a practical hands-on approach. At William & Mary's Raymond A. Mason School of Business, our online, part-time, and traditional full-time graduate programs apply these strengths to provide the experience necessary to help you succeed. Visit us at chatadmissions.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the podcast that follows the money behind the beautiful game. I'm Kevin Day. I hope you had a lovely Christmas. I hope you're still having a lovely Christmas. It's not January the 6th for a long time. And I'm joined, of course, by uh, Professor Kieran Maguire, who's an expert on football finance at Liverpool University. And before you say it, Kieran, legally, you are only a professor as in a pub nickname. That's, that's good by me. I know you get a bit antsy about being called the professor, but you are the prof from now on, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> if, and you'd be welcome to drink in the Porson's Arms with Neil the Fish, Mad Griff, Frank Talking, and all the other nicknames. <laughs> I once went into a pub in Yorkshire with my cousin who lived up there and he introduced me to his mate Donkey Head who did have a very big head and his mate, his mate Fireplace Jack and it took me two hours to sum up the courage to ask him why he was called Fireplace Jack and it turned out because he sells fireplaces. <laughs> no, it was as, as mundane as that basically. Anyway, coming up on this pod, uh, Stoke City bet 365 and the true cost of relegation from the Premier League, the price you pay for speaking your mind and... You know about this, Kieran, so you won't be as excited. An exciting new change of format to tell everyone about. Well, hey. We'll keep that quiet for the moment, but it's a, I'm sure it's a money-making exercise by Guy, our producer. Hello, Guy, who hasn't travelled down to London for this one for some reason. We're no longer in Soho Radio Studio. Uh, we are no longer in Soho Radio Studio or the Comedy Store. We are in my house in the background. That's how things are going. Apparently, the pod's going very well, Guy tells us, and, and we're, we're monetizing it, but not so much that... <laughs> We don't have to do it in my house. And I, I know you're, you're a bit sensitive today as you copped a dodgy pheasant last night, didn't you? That's right. Yeah, I went down the local pub, uh, had, yeah. a, had a pheasant pie, and uh, I've that's, been paying for it ever since. That's a very bright thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> Pop down to... Who's, who runs your local pub? Well, uh, Roger Daltrey is, yeah, uh, is, is regularly down there. There you go, Brighton. Now, um, Stoke. Now, this looks like a big subject percolating doesn't it and but for Stoke you could arguably substitute any of the clubs that have been relegated recently but they've they've just posted a big loss for the second season running haven't they that's right Stoke have lost 86 million pounds over the last two years um, which is pretty big Um, and you think take that in consideration first season was in they were in the Premier League second season they're receiving 41 million pounds in parachute payments so what have Stoke tried to do they've simply tried to buy themselves back into the Premier League by by spending a fortune so at at the end of last season they had a squad which cost 190 196 million pounds the most expensive squad ever assembled in the championship and they finished 16th wow and these were players left over from the Premier League or players that they brought in? It, it was a combination. That they, they, normally, when a club is relegated, as you've probably seen, they, they sell off all the best players um, and then they recruit sort of championship standard mm. players. Stoke went in, they signed Joe Allen, they, signed, they kept Joe Allen, they, they signed some other players. So they spent over £80 million. They spent more money recruiting players in the championship than they did in their final season in the Premier League, which is completely arse over tit. They, that's... 
yes, that's a total lack of foresight as well, wasn't it? Our, our club still, I mean, it's, it, it, it was happening so often it became a cliche. But so many clubs were going down, you know, five, six years ago, and they had so, so many of the players on contracts that guaranteed them Premier League wages on relegation, which even I know is not good economics. Are cl- have clubs stopped doing that now, or do, will players not sign if there's a thing in their contract that says their wages will go down? It, it it depends on how desperate the club is for the players. So many players do have relegation clauses in the contract. If you take a look at Stoke's wage bill last season, um, I, I estimate they they were paying an average of twenty six grand a week, which is by by championship standards that's that's very high. Um, you've got clubs such as Rotherham who are paying three and a half grand mm-hmm. a week. So so that they were certainly paying uh, big bucks. And I think what they had done the previous season, some of the players who were in the Premier League who they were desperate to keep. Either the reduction for relegation was relatively small or there wasn't one at all. And it's noticeable as well this season in particular the crowds have gone down. But according to your theory, that's not so much an issue, is it, in terms of income? No, not if you're receiving parachute payments, um, as, as Stoke still are. Uh, they've got they've got one more season after this one, um, and and then they drop into the sort of the the pit that is the championship. Um, so I think they're going to. I think that the concern is for them that financial fair play could be uh, a big issue. But their chief executive, um, he's, been, he's been making noises. He said, and I quote, we're constrained by the rules that are in place. We don't like the rules. We think they're wrong and they're ill-conceived. We think they should be changed, but they're in place. We're doing everything we can to make them as favourable to us as possible. Now, why do you think he was saying that? Which well, which rules is he talking about? It's fair, financial fair play financial rules. fair play in the championship. Why should, why should they not apply to Stoke as well as every other team? Well, Stoke City are owned by Bet Three Six Five, and on the day that Stoke City announced their financial results, so did Bet Three Six Five. Oh, was that a coincidence? Well, I, I suspect not. I think they wanted to show actually. Look, look this is what we what we can do. Um, Bet Three Six Five last year took. Sixty-five billion pounds in bets. Billion, billion. So, to give you some sort of context, the whole, the whole of the money that is paid into the NHS, the NHS annual budget is one hundred and fifteen billion. So, Bet Three Six Five took over half of the amount of money Whoa. that gets paid into the the whole of the UK's NHS. It works out as eleven hundred pounds per person in the UK. Is is going into bet three six five coffers now? Clearly, yeah, plenty of bets are settled, and, yeah, and they only they, they they have winners as well as losers. But that's just the size of, of the issue. And, and as a, as a result of that, bet three six five have got billions of pounds sticking in the bank account, and they say, well, we're billionaires, so why can't we spend our money as we see fit? And therefore, financial fair play is not a problem. Well, there's a logic to that, but it's it's it's, it's not a logic that, that the other teams will. I, I'm I'm still astonished by that amount. We talked on the previous pod about the fact that the Premier League, despite its global reach, was nowhere near as wealthy as Bet365, which is just one company. But I had no idea that Bet365... I can't have been paying attention when we talked about it in the previous pod because that's an astonishing amount of money. But they're, they don't own the club, though, do they? They they do own the they club. They do own it. So the guy who owns the club is also owns... Bet365. That's right. It, it, it's set up by uh, the Coates family, yeah. who have been incredibly generous to, to the, the club. To so, the, and the yeah. community as well, has that, to be said. That's right. Yeah. Peter Coates, yeah. uh, he's, he was one of 11 children. You know, if, if you look at his backstory, um, and, and it is a success story in terms of a business. 
Um, their their chief executive is the highest paid uh, person in the country. I think she she took home two hundred and seventy million herself uh, last year. Is uh, she his daughter? She's his daughter. Yes. Um, and, and I guess part of you thinks, well, if they've made that money, they've got to do something with it. So they might as well give it to to the owners. She's very philanthropic. Yeah. Um, so is is the money being reinvested? Uh, yes, it is. But if we, if billionaires' approach is going to be, well, the rules that apply to everybody else in the championship don't apply to us because we're billionaires, then where 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 does football ultimately go? Well, yeah. So essentially, they're saying the financial fair play rules should only apply to people who can't afford to comply with the financial fair play rules. So the clubs that are less well off, who are trying all these crafty things, have you told us about to get round them, should become millionaires and then buy their way out of it, and that shouldn't be an issue, is what they're saying. That's right. Effectively, they want it to be a, a sport, a bit like horse racing, where it's it's the money that that counts uh, in, in terms of of the the wealth of the owners. And I think you and I, we are, we're both from that background of ninety two clubs who, at the start of August, still have got that romantic feeling, especially, yeah. especially in the lower leagues, yeah. that you've you've got a chance of winning something. Um, and, and I've been sort of, you know, I'm, I spend a, 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 too much of my life on social media but the comments that were coming from the fans of Sheffield Wednesday and Stoke both of whom are owned by incredibly wealthy individuals was that well we can't see a problem because yeah. we just happen to be owned by by billionaires uh, yeah but if it was Port Vale and Sheffield United who are the recipients of that money um then it would be different you know because it's it's the rivals so it, it it's 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 a it's a strange thing and then there's and the, and the fans can become very defensive with with regards to the nature but surely we we do live in some form of democracy and and just because somebody is is a billionaire doesn't mean that the normal rules of engagement don't apply to them if we, we've done well not not at our university but i've seen work done at university to see the, the different behaviours of wealthy people compared to people from a working class background. And, and what they did was that they, with a student, and this, was, this, is, this would drive the health and safety people mad, they walked across uh, a pedestrian crossing as cars were approaching. They sort of put one foot on onto the pedestrian crossing and we had two people sitting by their side and they were grading the cars. So <laughs> if, if, you, if you had a Porsche or a Lamborghini, they put you down as category one. Mm. And then if there's little old ladies in a Nissan Micra, they, they were down at category four or five. And what they saw was that working class people or people from less wealthy backgrounds, they, they comply with the law. So 100% of the people from, from a, uh, a poorer or, or a less well-off background, they, they stopped at the pedestrian crossing, whereas less than half of the people who were driving the Porsches and the Lamborghinis, they just went straight across mm-hmm. because they've been built, they've, been, they've grown up in an environment where, where rules are something which can be circumvented, they can be bought, or they can be ignored. And I think that's the approach, or yeah, that's certainly the vibes we're getting from some of these rich owners, which is why financial fair play is, is such, a, such a cat's cradle of a mess at present. I can see by your body language, I'm going to have to interrupt this, because we could be here for quite some time, with me agreeing with you, obviously. Um, and I do remember talking to a Premier League footballer, not that long ago, who said without any sense of irony that there should be a millionaire's car lane. Because if you've spent that amount of money on a, on a car, you shouldn't have to be held up in traffic, basically. So it's, that's the mentality you're talking about. But you might remember not long before the election, there was a bizarre argument on, on Five Live between Emma Barnett and John McDonnell, the low party about billionaires, with her 
arguing herself into a, a corner but saying we should be celebrating billionaires. It's a matter of interest. How many are there in the country? That I don't know. Right. That's not, not my field. Right, okay. Um, that's, um, that's the first question I've ever asked you you don't know the answer to, so that's, that's my belated Christmas gift. Because it would be a horrible, horrible world if every football club was owned by billionaires, wouldn't it? Yes, because... It's not part of our culture anymore. Yeah. It, it, it is. It then just becomes um, a, a rich man's plaything. And, and if the rules aren't going to apply to them when it comes to to driving, and the rules don't yeah, apply to them when yeah, it comes yeah, to yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. where where do we extend? You know, if if I'm if if I'm down the pub and, and a bloke walks up to my wife and starts chatting her up, I, I'm not particularly pleased. If he says, "Hold it, I'm a billionaire." What am I supposed to say? Oh, you know, you know fill your boots, mate. Oh, yeah, what, what do you do? Guide yeah. you in? You know, it, it's absolutely disgraceful that that people think that guide you in. Did you? Just... Well, if things if things move on, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, let's 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 move on from that. But yeah. so the, the the very high wages that Stoke were paying in the first year of relegation was presumably subsidised by the parachute payment, rather than the. I, I'm, I'm trying to find a subtle way of saying: Are there ways for Bet Three Six Five to actually? pay the wages in a way that they shouldn't do that do there are and what we are seeing is that some clubs are becoming increasingly cute with the, the way that uh, they, they operate so um I'm, I'm aware of a a premier league footballer who was very talented as a as, a, as an academy player and uh, you, you can't play academy players so so what what happened was that the club's kit manufacturer, they got one of their subsidiary companies to employ the player's mum and dad. And that way they kept him on as part of the academy and he's yeah, now right. you know, knocking on the door of the first team. So there's always ways and means of getting around the rules. It's a salutary lesson for other clubs, Stoke, or it should be, because for years when they were finishing ninth, 10th in the Premier League, they were held up as a, a model club, really, weren't they? As a club that, that kept within its means, didn't spend outrageous sums of money trying to get into Europe. So you, you kind of think, if, they, if this can happen to Stoke, regardless of their billionaire owners, this is something that can happen to virtually every club in the Premier League, can't it? Very much. Yeah, when, when relegation happens, it, it does hit clubs in a variety of ways. Some clubs really batten down the hatches. We think about Swansea and Huddersfield being mm. relegated in the last couple of seasons. There, there's strange stuff going on in terms of ownership when, when clubs get relegated, and, and that makes it more of a challenge for for the club manager because he's got players there who don't want to be there and he won't necessarily want them to be there but then the wages come into the equation and it does get very messy. Now this, before we move on from stuff, this might seem an odd question but it's one of the memories I have from Boxing Day. They're not, Boxing Day is always a blur to me to be perfectly honest although I remember IU's goal. I didn't quite know how to celebrate really. The bloke next to me didn't even stand up. He's not going to score, is he? Um, <laughs> somebody did ask me before the game and we talked about the pod which was, which was nice but basically so how, how many ways of breaking financial fair play rules are there? When the rules first came out, I, I sat down and I came up with a dozen. Right, and, and oh, oh, as many as that. So it's yeah, um, it's it's. I, I just thought the rules were crazy, and I'm thinking, well, hold on, you know, if, if I can do it, and I'm just a teacher, then then you've got lots of people at these big silver-tongued firms of accountants and, and law who will be able to go and drive a coach and horses through them. Um, there there are uh, a, a lot of ways. Right. Um, because what what you're trying to do is is to two things: a, how do you increase income, and b, how do you cut costs? And then you just go, well, there's things we can do with matchday income. There's things we can do with sponsorship. Um, there's 
uh, you know, as, as Paul Simon you know, sort of once saying, there's, there's there's fifty ways to to leave your lover, etc. Yeah, you're not just a teacher, and teacher is not as good a nickname as professor. Because uh, cause most of us, when we talk about financial fair play, and this is one of the reasons why I think this pod is being so successful, is because people like me, you just associate, you go, oh, it's something to do with wages, essentially. But And that's what most people associate it with, that it's it's a way of getting around huge wage bills, isn't it? Yes. Uh, and, and in League One and League Two, um, that there is a wage cap. There was a wage cap in the Premier League. That was scrapped this summer. Um, and on Boxing Day, just just to show that I do work 365 days of a year, um, the the Chinese Super League they've just announced uh, a a wage cap in China, which which limits wages to 49,000 pounds a week net, um, which will have have an issue in in terms of them recruiting the likes of Hulk and Oscar and so on uh, okay. in future yeah. years. Why have they done that? As a matter of interest, because you'd imagine if if any country. And by coincidence, we were about to talk about China next. But you'd imagine if any country didn't need to do that, it would be China. Well, I think the the Chinese government has seen that there's been conspicuous consumption. I think is is the way of describing it. You've got footballers coming in with the Lamborghinis, with yeah, the yeah. with the designer clothes, and so on, and they they don't feel that that sets a particularly good example to to the fan base. But also, the Chinese clubs on an individual basis, they're losing fortunes because they're trying to outdo each other in uh, acquiring these marquee signings. Is there a limit to how many foreign players they can have? I think it's presently five, and I think that's going to drop to four um, because China is very keen to host the World Cup. Uh, yes. And, yeah. and part of the reason um, be- behind that is that by having overseas players who are very talented, it can increase the, the quality of the coaching and, and also the, the, the overall standards of the teams uh, within the CSL. So we saw an issue with China with Meza Ozil just a couple of weeks ago when... Um, in a fit of umbrage, the Chinese broadcasting refused to show an Arsenal game because of comments he made about ethnic Muslim communities there. Is that is this the sort of thin end of the wedge? Is this does this mean that clubs will be desperately begging their players not to mention anything related to politics, especially in China? And and off the back of that, and it's a question people have been asking: if a fan, for example, you or I were to were to treat our dismay at some of the practices uh, towards ethnic minorities in China, would that, again, would they take umbrage at that? I mean, are we being held hostage by a very, very rich country? Well, I mean, from from the Chinese government's point of view, that they're, they've, they're paying £564 million for three years of broadcasting rights from the Premier League. Oh. And, and they want something in return from that. Clearly, they, they want their, their people to be able to watch those matches but um, they, they feel that if they're paying that amount of money, then why should they be criticised? Um, and I think there's, there's a danger of falling into political point scoring and what aboutery. If, yeah. if you look at Mesut Ozil, who was the best man at his wedding? It was, it was Erdogan, who is a fairly author- authoritarian dude himself. Yeah, fair a- and then do you go and say, well, hold on, Mesut, you know, you're criticising what's happening in China, but what's happening with regards to the Kurds, what's happening in Syria as a result of... And, and then everybody piles in because Mike Pompeo, who's the US Secretary of State, he's now decided to align himself with Meza Ozil because, guess what, uh, yes. America's got a trade dispute with China. Yeah. So you end up with geopolitics. Um, we, we do go along to watch matches 
you know, to, to forget about the politics and, and, and many of the, many of the the more harsh things of life. Um, and if this is bringing it back into that domain, the clubs will certainly want to distance themselves. Uh, Arsenal's match on Boxing Day. Uh, the the Chinese uh, state TV company relinquished the the ban on showing Arsenal matches, but when Arsenal played on Boxing Day, Mesut Ozil's name was not mentioned once during the commentary. Right. Now we've all seen matches where he disappears, huh. but <laughs> yeah, yeah, but this well. but this one he just did not exist for ninety minutes. You know, yeah. So there is clearly uh, there is clearly issues here, and I think from from his career's point of view, if he's thinking of moving to another club. Most clubs within Europe wouldn't wouldn't now want to touch him because if they've got Chinese sponsors or commercial partners, they would be upset by the move. The only place realistically he could move to would be Turkey, where he's being fated as a hero. So again, we're getting into the world of politics and sport. Should they mix or shouldn't they? Yeah, the politics thing is is well made because I remember a lot of left-wing comedians tying themselves into knots about whether they could watch Sky, basically, because of the Murdoch connection. So... And and it goes back to our initial conversation. Billionaires don't get to be billionaires without making some harsh decisions and presumably bankrupting some other people. I'm not saying that happened with Bet365. So there's, if if you if you dig deep enough, you'll find a reason not to support any club, basically, or to, or to support any government. Now, I mentioned slightly uh, jokingly, which is some of the reviews I've been getting for, <laughs> for my contribution to this pod, yeah, slightly jokingly, um, what would happen if if a fan were to, you know, to get involved and say what Mesut Ozil did? Normally, that would be through social media. But I mean, do you think the likes? Is it too paranoid to suggest that the Chinese state broadcasting companies or the Chinese government are monitoring tweets? And if, for example, Arsenal fans tweeted their support for Mesut Ozil, that would be considered bad as well. Or if, you know, because you know, fans are. are more and more politicised these days. If I were to tweet something, do you think that that would get Palace into trouble? Well, if it if it was racist or homophobic or, or broke well, any of our laws, obviously, then, of then, course, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah, then you know, hoping it gets which, reported to the authorities. Which, unfortunately, so many football-related tweets are. For all that I've said, we're getting politicised. There's still the, a lot of numpties out there. Um, but potentially, yes. So, so here's an example. Um, this is a tweet from a fan of a Premier League club. His, right. his club had just lost a match, so therefore. We say some, some not, not always. You don't always think before posting, but this one was. Here it is genuine question. Gary Lineker won't ask it though. How many Arabs have died to pay for that win? Hashtag MCFC. Whoa! So what? What this fan was doing? He was, he was making reference to you know, allegations of human rights issues and the kafala employment system in the UAE, um, where where migrant workers' visas are effectively sponsored by the employer, and, and is that a form of uh, is that a form of slavery? So, that well, well, it doesn't bother FIFA, does it, when it comes to building stadiums for the World Cup? But absolutely. So, so the the, the opposition club to Manchester City, right. they picked up on this. So, they the, were, so the the club the fans supported, in other words, that's right. Yes, um, and they 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 asked him to delete it, and then they gave him a, a five year ban from attending home matches. Really? Yep. And that did. So Man City didn't complain. I, I think Man. Well, or, or well, may have, may have, we, we don't know. Right. We, we, you know it, it could have been that it was just after the match. You know, the, the board of directors were in the room, and so, something comes from the opposition team. You, you're going through, and somebody in, in the social social media department says, "Look, look, look what your fans are saying here." Now, you know, I, I think there's been an appeal. 
Um, I think it's been reduced to one year, is my understanding. Um, and the Football Supporters Association, that they're trying to uh, get this dealt with on, on behalf of the fan, uh, because it does seem uh, an unusual comment to make. It, it wasn't it, racist, it wasn't homophobic. It, it, was on, it was on the nose, but it was, it was politi- politically astute and that's censorship. I mean, the club can't ban him for having an opinion. I think the, the 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 words used by the club was that the comment besmirched the reputation of the club. I well, unless the uh, unless he has the club's name in in question, and when there's a reason we're sort of dancing around who the who the the, the club is because we we do, we don't want similar issues. Unfortunately, it sounds a bit cowardly, but there are legal issues. We've been advised that we should be very careful here. But that's unless the guy has you know the club's name in his his Twitter handle. I can't see. Well, he he does. So it's very clear that right. which team he supports. Oh, okay. So it could be seen as an official club tweet. Well, it, the... it it could be. But if you know if if somebody from you know Palace nineteen eighty four yeah tweets something derogatory about an opponent's team after a match and also if, if you look you know, I, I i live in manchester I, yeah, of I, I work in liverpool um the stuff that comes out from there because they, they they absolutely hate each well, other if clubs were going to be consistent about this it'd be you'd be knocking twenty thousand off the home attendance every week for every club because the, the air is full of hatred and bile to it and if You'd like to think if if clubs are going to take things that seriously, they should be doing it with racist, homophobic tweets as well, which they tend not to be banned. You know, they're not getting involved in investigating who these mysterious people are that send these tweets anonymously. So it is, it is of some concern, essentially, isn't it? So that's one we need to follow, and I think we probably need to talk to the FSA as well because it's a that's a disturbing precedent. It, it is. I mean, if, yeah. if that is, di- and ultimately a club can choose who can go go and attend matches there yes but um if they're not if they're going to ban me or you or anybody else because of their views on human rights or politics then as you say we we could be knocking an awful lot of fans off off the approved list um and there is uh, there is a view that the gentrification of the game uh, over the, since the beginning of the, the yeah. Premier League has has perhaps gone too far. And, and is this an example of, of such a policy? It's a difficult one for Man City fans as well, as I know a lot of Man City fans. Um, and I, certainly gay Man City fans in particular are very uneasy about the relationship with the UA to the, to the, to the club, knowing what the, the laws are out there. So... This is an interesting one to follow because you 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 simply can't stifle opinion like that. I mean, not if it's not when it's put that articulately. And it is again, we have to acknowledge it's an on the nose comment, but it's essentially true. And yeah, you know, we don't like the idea that every club will start policing the, the Twitter fan handles of every club supporters just to take offence and take umbrage. That's right. I agree with you entirely. But someone else closer to home. Um, a club director who called fans unbelievably uh, what was the actual phrase unbelievably Un- uneducated. uneducated yes he's um he's quietly disappeared as well hasn't he so tell us the background to this story well uh this relates to Sunderland uh, Sunderland were uh, were bought out about 18 months ago by uh, Stuart Donald and there's a there's a minority shareholder a guy called Charlie Methven um and Sunderland, yeah, the, the, the initial relationship between these these two guys and the fan base was incredibly close because they said, "Well, we're not Americans. We want you to get back into the championship." Yeah. 
then things haven't worked out quite as planned. So clearly that they weren't promoted last season. Presently, I think they're are they 16th in League One, yep. the lowest per position in, in in the club history. And I think in November they, they they got a strange loan from an American company called FPP of of 10 million pounds. And looking at the small print, and I've not seen every part of this, it appears to suggest that if Sunderland fail to make the loan repayments, these these American lenders can actually take over um, the Stadium of Light. Oh. Um, so you know, it's a bit like a mortgage. If you, if you don't make your repayments, we'll, we'll repossess your house. Um, so I think Sunderland fans sort of brought this to the attention of the club, and this provoked the, the reaction from Charlie Methven. Um, and uh, you know, I, I was at a, I was at a gathering uh, a week ago, a week and a half ago, where there were some Sunderland fans, and and they were very angry about this. Um, Charlie Methven then mysteriously resigned uh, as a director, saying, "I want to spend more time with my family," which is sort <laughs> of you know code for as we've seen many politicians yeah. where they'd be caught with their trousers down. Um, to uh, well, I, well, I, I, need, Christmas, I need to get Christmas, out of town. Christmas was coming up. He may have wanted to spend more time with his family. But. Uh, absolutely. It's a shame for Sunderland fans, though, because they had, I mean, they had some happy times in the Premier League, but under Ellis Short, they had some very miserable times as well, didn't they? So it was, it's, it's kind of a shame this is going pear-shaped for them, because every football fan would say we deserve their day in the sun, but yeah, they're, they're looking at Newcastle doing relatively well, and it's not a happy time for them, is it? That's right, and, and it's that, that funny relationship that clubs do, how club owners do have with the fan base. Ellis Short effectively wrote off £100 million when he walked out of town. Yeah. Um, it, it didn't work out, and if you take a look at Sunderland, you know, the way that they burnt through chief executives yep. with huge payoffs, clearly there was the Adam Johnson affair as well, which was absolutely tainted their memory, or you know, their, their sort of position within the, within the football fan base. Um, they've They've had a lot of uh, bad news um, over the course of the last decade. But yeah, as a fan that's been to both Roker Park and the Stadium of Light, it's one of the places you love going to. It's one of the friendliest clubs I've ever been to, as a Palace fan, oddly, and as a broadcaster. Certainly when Niall Quinn was about, and it probably came from him, but they were a club you always look forward to going to see, which is one of the reasons I'm very sad to see them in this situation. Now, normally, Kieran, uh, we would finish the pod with, with questions, but that's not happening. And there's a good reason for that, because we are going to be doing two episodes a week from now on. I'm sure there's a reason for this. I, I'm, I'm sure there is as well. There is a reason for this. It's because, we're, it's because we're a victim of our own success, is what it is, Kieran, basically. And we need, to, we need to give more space to questions, essentially. So we're going to two episodes a week. So um, every, every Thursday, it's just going to be you and I chatting and you giving us your analysis. And on every Monday, we'll have a slightly shorter pod. When we ask your questions, starting from next Monday, uh, West Ham and Partick Thistle fans, I think, will particularly want to listen to that. And if you've got questions for us, get them into questions at priceoffootball.com. Price of Football is a DAP Dip production. Please review us on uh, wherever you listen, because uh, that helps with the algorithms as well, apparently. And again, guy getting money, I imagine. So until then, um, have a good weekend. The Price of Football.
This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. This is Creepy, a collection of the most famous and disturbing stories and urban legends from the deepest, darkest corners of the web. Hosted by creator John Grills and a cast of creepy narrators. New stories added every Sunday. Listener discretion is advised. Listen free on your favorite podcatcher or find us at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.